Well, after the introduction, I, I'm so choked I can't actually speak. <laughs> um, I've got I've got all sorts of gadgets here. I've got one of those, and I've got a sort of Gordon Brown m- microphone here. <laughs> um, and I'd, I'd like just to test this and see if you can hear me when I just use this one and not that one. Okay, can you hear me at the back okay on my Gordon Brown microphone? Yes, good. Uh, that means I can wonder about. Um, it's very, very good to be here with you. It's, you know, this is, this is a very special weekend. I've, I've done some talks in other places, but the great thing about being here with you is that you're a very special audience. There's a, there's a quality of listening. Those people who stand on platforms will know that there's a, there's a quality of listening and it's something special that happens here. And I think there's a, a certain kind of person, can I say, that comes to Old Trafford Fellowship Weekend. And I think that I'm probably going to be talking to the converted today. I think you know all about what I'm saying. Is that feedback because I'm standing near these lot? Right, I'll move over here. <laughs> um, there's a, a, a story, I don't know if you know it. There's a Texas oil millionaire built himself a new swimming pool. Very proud of it. It was very ritzy. And, he, and so he threw a party and filled it with sharks and uh, invited lots of, his, lots of the people who worked for him. And um, he said, if anybody swims the length of this pool, they can have anything they like, anything they ask for. And immediately, there was no hesitation whatsoever, young man in his suit and, and shoes dived in. Before the sharks could even turn around, he was from one end of the pool to the other. And he came out and he stood in a pool of water. And the old millionaire said to him, that was just amazing. Now just name it. Anything you like, you can have it. And he said, well, I'd really like the name of the person who pushed me in at the other end. <laughs> well, I know who got me into this. It was Liz. I can't see where she is. But, and I did struggle a bit to get out of it because... I'm supposed to be here and talk about preaching and when I look around this room I could see people here who've done the most amazing preaching events terrific outreach and I really can't match that kind of track record in, in preaching but I do have something to say and so here I am and all those people who weren't brave enough to pretend that they had children when everybody left here you are, right? And you're, you're kind of stuck with me. And, um, but we're going to talk about something very special, the transforming friendship. And this is what I want to say. This is what it's all about. That our relationship with a living and indwelling Lord Jesus radically empowers and transforms every part of our service to God. Without that, we're just working in our own strength. The indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ changes everything, changes dusty theology into spiritual dynamite and that's what I want to talk about and it's important I think to talk about this for two reasons and the first is that it, it seems to me that it's not really given the emphasis that it deserves within our community um, and for something which is so essential for success. I think that that's a terrible loss to us. There was a time in the 1970s, remember the 1970s? 
No. <laughs> I do, unfortunately. <laughs> I remember it really well. There was a time then when it looked as though the Christadelphian teaching about this was going to change. And a lot of the influential speakers and writers around about that time, A.D. Norris, James Norris, Arthur Dagg, Fred Barling, Melva Perkis, were all beginning to talk about the Holy Spirit and about the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that works in our lives. But it met with enormous opposition. Um, and it was a very bitter opposition. Thank you. Uh, and I know that Melba Perkis and some of the others uh, were just very concerned that it was going to cause division in our community and so people backed off. But it was a, it was a, a shame because it's left us really in a kind of limbo where we don't, it seems to me we don't have a very clear idea about the way the Lord Jesus works in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I think we really need... The, the shame of it is that with our understanding of the Holy Spirit, we see we, our theology isn't clouded by any belief that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And so of all people, we ought to be able to understand it. We ought to have this right. And sadly, we've backed away from, from thinking about it. So that's the first reason. And the second is, it says here, if, it's when I stand there, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. If we don't get this right, then we get everything wrong. Would it help if I move this desk to the other side? It would, wouldn't it? I think. I've come to talk to you now. <laughs> I've talked to them, and now I'm going to talk to you. <laughs> um... Yes, we, if, we, if we get this wrong, we get everything wrong. We, we just turn our faith into something which is based on duty and dusty theology. How many people read Harry Potter? Can't admit, admit it? Ah. Oh. Remember in Harry Potter, the Dementors, to suck the joy out of life. That's what happens if you don't have this. Because the opposite of this Christ-centred faith is legalism. And legalism is just such a killer. It was when Jesus was around, the Pharisees exemplified it, and it still is today. And, it's, and the, 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 the tragedy of legalism is, and we do have legalizers in our community, they look so religious, you know, they look so impressive. And you think, well, they must be right. But they're so wrong. They're so completely wrong. And they drive all the joy out of our worship and our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and that's that's such a tragedy I think okay right I'm going to try my next gadget good thank you Pete <laughs> so I press the button Pete presses the button <laughs> it's pretty impressive isn't it what is this that you've given me <laughs> I, I was reading something um, a while ago and, uh, and I, I think it was um, it was this that really crystallised what I want my faith to be about um, let me just find my copy of these because I'll, otherwise I'll have to keep turning around 
I want a faith that is Christ-centred, Bible-based, active in love. That, that really is my manifesto. That's the way that I would like to be in my life. And I was quite pleased with this, so I sent it off to uh, my friend Bruce Parker, my brother Bruce Parker in, um, in America. And Bruce liked it as well. In fact, he liked it a lot because Bruce has a background in marketing. And he says, look, you turn it the other way around, it's ABC, what a gift that is. You know, to when you're talking to people. And so Bruce said, he's out in India at the moment, he said, I'm going to talk about this, and I'm going to do active in love, Bible-based, and Christ-centred. And then I thought, well, that doesn't work. I think that's back to front theology, and it won't work. And that just kind of crystallised it for me. That's not what it means to me at all. So I want to talk about being Christ-centred, empowered and transformed by the living presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want to know what that's about. I want to know what that feels like. And I want to know how to share that experience with the Apostle Paul. And Bible-based, it has to be real. It has to, not just wish fulfilment. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a secret. Ever since I got in this morning, <laughs> I've been on the edge of a migraine. Anybody, oh, lots of you, I'm sure, have migraine. There's a man at the back, I know. Um, and what happens is that your vision starts to break up. You get this thing called a scotoma. And flashing lights and dazzling. And I thought, well, if this happens... It's going to be an interesting morning. And so that's been on the edge of, um, of, of, of my consciousness all morning. There was a medieval mystic, Hildegard of Bingen, who used to have visions of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she painted these visions. And a lot of years later, a man called Oliver Sacks wrote a book on migraine. And he said, I think what she was experiencing was the scotoma of migraine. And, that she, and she draws these pictures of the visions that she has and they're surrounded by those kind of zigzag, dazzling lights. It's important that, we, that our belief isn't just wish fulfilment. It has to be real. And so our faith has to be Christ-centred, but it has to be Bible-based as well. And so I'm going to spend a little time this morning talking about the scriptures which, which define... Um, this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it has to be active in love. If it's going to be real, it has to produce results. It won't work the other way around. But if we have this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're going to produce fruit. I press my button, Pete. <laughs> Shall I try it again? It's bust. Right, so, <laughs> okay, this is Peterson's translation, Fruit of the Spirit, and I, and I love the translation. What happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life. This is the opposite of legalism, isn't it? Exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction 
that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Read the rest of it. You've got a copy of Peterson's translation at home because it's a terrific uh, description of the fruit of the Spirit. And the thing about this is these are attractive qualities. Remember last year, those of you who were here, ha! Good, isn't it? Yes. Um, we'll remember Don saying this, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That stayed with me all year, really. And that's, what I, that's the main thing that I took away, really, from, from Don's talk last year. And the, the purpose of the fruit of the Spirit is to draw people into that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if our faith is working and our relationship with him is working, it's going to happen to you. It's, a, it's what, you know, Jesus says, you're the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Branches bear fruit, it's what they do. If you stay attached to the vine, it's what they do. So, preaching, I think, in the formal sense, comes later. Okay, it's time we've read something, isn't it? So will you turn to Mark chapter 11? I'm going to read to you verses 1 to 20. Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. We had a little girl come to our uh, South Lakes once, and she did a reading for us. And Jesus, according to her, said, Go into the city, there you will find a clot tied to a tree. <laughs> Sorry, where was I? Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, tell him the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. And they went and found the colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And 
As he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. So, here we have the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The crowds all chanting these words from uh, Psalm 118. It's the only uh, complete sentence I know in Hebrew, and so Sue's over there, she knows that I've got to say it. Baruch Habar B'Shem Adonai. But I promise I'll only say it once. I'll try, I'll try to just say it once. Um, I just love the sound of it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's a psalm, that 118 psalm, about uh, David's victories. It's, it's David returning from his victories over the Philistines, the conquering king. But it's also something else in Judaism. It's the beginning of the Jewish wedding. If you go to a Jewish wedding anywhere in the world, it always begins that way, that the congregation wait for the bridegroom to arrive. And as, he, and as he appears, they say, just say it once more, okay, Baruch Abba deny. blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you see what they're saying, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the bridegroom, he's the one we've been waiting for. Tremendous moment, exciting moment. And then Jesus sees the fig tree, curses the fig tree. They go into the temple, which has just been corrupted, being used for selfish purposes. It's not being used um, as a house of God at all. It's being used for material gain. It's being used for self-promotion of a kind of a religious elite. And uh, then they return, and in the morning the fig tree is withered. Now, a lot of people think the fig tree is a symbol for Israel. I think it's a symbol for the temple. It's a perfect symbol for what uh, worship of God has become. It's, it's got leaves, but it's got no fruit. And that's what empty religion does. It's kind of very showy, and it looks pretty good, but it has no substance, it has no fruit. And Jesus is saying that he's replaced the temple. A system of belief has been replaced by a relationship with a person. Jesus has replaced the temple. God's living presence departed from the temple long ago. Remember Eli's grandson, was it? Ichabod. One of the saddest names in the history of the world. The glory has departed. Holiness isn't found in a building. Holiness isn't found in a system of belief. It's found in a relationship. In Hebrew, the word holy is, is kadosh, and the word for marriage is kiddushin. They're so closely related. It's about a relationship. It won't work again, Pete. Oh, next one, that's it. Um, I'm indebted to Margaret over there for reminding me of this quotation from... Andrew Murray. Holiness doesn't come by seeking holiness, it comes by seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The temple's gone. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus tells his disciples it's going to be pulled down. There won't be one stone left on another. It's like a leprous house in Leviticus. It's going to be pulled apart stone by stone because it's, it's become an evil place. And Jesus says at the end of Matthew's Gospel, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It has to be like that for us. We're the bride of Christ. We're inviting him in triumphal entry into our lives. And when that happens, then we're going to produce fruit as well as leaves. It's not just going to be showy religion. It's not just going to be rote learning. It's not just going to be a matter of doctrine. It's going to be something which produces fruit. It's going to be something which changes the world because of the presence of the living Lord Jesus. I want us to sing, Jesus be the centre. I must remember to switch this off because I have a terrible singing voice. Okay, I want a faith that is Christ-centred and Bible-based. It has to be, it has to be rooted in clear Bible teaching. Now, I've not got an awful lot of time here, and so you're going to have to go home and do the legwork yourself, but I want to show you just where to look. Uh, three things I want to show you, if you don't already know them. There's the first one. There's a, a word which occurs uh, in John's Gospel, all the way through it, John uh, picks up a teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and, re- uh, uh, and this word appears about 40 odd times in the Gospel of John and it's the word to dwell or to abide. Unfortunately translations haven't really helped us because they often translate it in all kinds of different ways but you know what it means because very early in the Gospel Jesus is walking along Peter and Andrew is it I think are following him and Jesus says to Peter, do you want to ask me a question? And Peter always has something to say. Not always sensible, and not very sensible on this occasion really, because he says, where'd you live? <laughs> right? And John in his wisdom um, records this encounter. And I think the reason that he does it is to flag up the meaning right at the beginning of the Gospel, of this word, meno, or meno, I don't know which word you're supposed to pronounce it, but it means to, to dwell or to abide. And it's about a, a, a Lord Jesus Christ who will dwell in us. Have a look for it. For once in a while, do the thing where you get the, you know, the highlighter and get your concordance and just highlight all the times that this happens in the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John because it's so important, this teaching, and you'll learn a lot by doing it. That's it. Okay, what I've done here is I've slightly retranslated. So every time the word meno appears, I've translated it dwell. This is what Jesus says, the thing that Neil read to us. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Dwell in me and I will dwell in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must dwell in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you dwell in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
If a man dwells in me and I dwell in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you think Jesus is trying to tell us something there? I think he is. Um, And that kind of teaching occurs all the way through John's Gospel. And so go go away. I haven't got time to go through more. uh, Perhaps it's the business of a, a Bible class rather than a talk like this. But you need to do it. You need to go and look at it and fix it in your mind because this has to be rooted in clear Bible teaching. So that's the first big body of teaching to do with this word to dwell or to abide. Let's try again. Good. Did I do that or did you do that? You did that. (laughs) Crap. (laughs) This is nothing really, isn't it? It's It's just a toy. Then there's this whole body of teaching about Christ in you, the Apostle Paul, very, very important to him. To, uh, yes, and it occurs all the way through his teaching. I'll just give you one example in Colossians. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And Paul says, to this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want to know what that feels like. I want to know what that's about. And all the way through the letters of Paul, you'll find this teaching Christ in you. If you want to, if you want to reference us to all these things, just give me your email address and I'll email you some, some notes. But you really need to do the work. Uh, Christ in you the hope of glory. Now look, we're not talking about just the words of the Lord Jesus Christ but words are important. You need to know what Jesus said. I'm not just talking about the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. The example's important. I'm talking that dead people influence people in those ways with their words and their example. But the Lord Jesus Christ is alive and promising to be with us to the ends of the world. A living, indwelling Lord Jesus. So that's the second body of teaching and you need to look at it. And the third is the teaching in the um, Gospel of John about the paraclete. Jesus, before uh, his crucifixion, gives this teaching to his disciples, trying to prepare them and trying to teach them something which must have been absolutely impossible for them to comprehend at that time, that he would be with them after his death and resurrection. I will ask the Father. He, he will send another counsellor to be with you forever. The Greek's very precise language. It has two words for another. One is alos and one is heteros. And alos means one of the exactly the same kind. Somebody just like Jesus. Um, uh, we're on the 14th... No... That's it. I'm so impressed with this. The world can't accept him, the spirit of truth, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. It's a promise of the presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ with his people after his resurrection. My dear children, he says here in the epistle of John, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence. Now that word is 
advocate. If you've got a New King James Version, that's how it's translated. It's the same word. It's the paraclete. It's the counsellor. It's the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think for me this verse just clinches it and makes it obvious. Now does this bother you, this kind of teaching about the indwelling presence of the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it sound a bit unchristadelphian? Because I think some people think that it's not very Christadelphian, but it is, it really is. Let me just, I haven't got time to give you many quotations, but I can give you a a couple. Um, Neville Smart, it is clear from this that the coming of the Comforter Spirit is the coming of Jesus himself. With Paul, as with John, the operation of the Holy Spirit in human experience is almost indistinguishable from the indwelling of Christ, the Spirit being the means by which Christ comes to us and works within us. Melva Perkis. How many people got Melva Perkis' Life of Christ as a Sunday school present? Yeah, there's a certain age group there. (laughs) That's That's quite interesting. Yes. Melva Perkis said this in a letter, I firmly believe that the indwelling of the Father and the Son is virtually the same as the indwelling of the Spirit. After all, the Spirit is only, and that's his exclamation mark, the power of God working in lives dedicated to him, and that by the grace which is in Jesus. Just one last one, but there are many more. And this is Arthur Hale, writing in the Bible Missionary. Terrific series he did in the Bible Missionary uh, called Our Exalted Lord. Just go back and have a look at it. Jesus said the paraclete would abide with his followers forever, a promise that would be hard to reconcile with a few decades of witness in the first century. The Lord is the same yesterday, today and forever, so that his interest and participation in the witness of his servants in all ages is assured. That's just a selection that I can give you. But you've got to do the legwork yourself, really. Um, Let me just make one thing clear, and, and I don't think I need to make this clear to you. I'm talking about fruit of the Spirit and not gifts of the Spirit, right? We get into an awful lot of um, hassle talking about whether we have Spirit gifts. I'm not all that interested, really. If God wants you to have gifts, he'll give you gifts. Don't worry about it. But what you do need to have is fruit. Jesus says... By their fruit you shall know who are my disciples. He didn't say by their gifts, he said by their fruit. That's the defining principle. Okay, that's the, that's the Bible part. And, and I, I really do think you have to go and do, it, do the work yourself because it's so important that this is based on clear Bible teaching. And it's there for you to find if you've not done it already. Okay, let me ask you a question. If everything depends on this relationship, how do we nourish it and make it as good as we possibly can? Is it something that's going to happen and be so powerful all through your life? I need to do a little research here. Will you put your hand up if you've been married more than 10 years? Lots of, oh, lots of people. Okay, will you put your hand up if you've been married more than 20 years? Still a lot. Anybody been married more than 30 years? Goodness me. How about, well, I'll try it, 40 years? Whoa! I didn't realise you were so old. (laughs) 50 years, anyone? 
Whoa, Philip, how many years have you been married? 52 years. What a saintly woman Dorothy is. <laughs> 52 years. Have you any idea how many times you kissed her? No. Well, fortunately, I've brought my calculator. <laughs> Let's just go for the assumption that, you know, once a, uh, once a day, so 52 years. Wow. <laughs> 18,512. At least that, at least once a day, I'm sure. Right. Now, Philip, don't, don't anybody else listen to this. Some of those kisses, Philip, were forged in the white hot fires of passion, weren't they? I don't want to know about those. <laughs> but some of them were just the everyday kiss on the cheek when you went to work. But they were important too, weren't they? Because they're part of a relationship that's gone on for a long, long time. We thank God that it has. They're part of something very precious and something special. Life with the living Lord Jesus Christ isn't always spiritual highs. They're important, those times of refreshing. But the day-to-day -day experience of a living Lord sometimes is a bit everyday and a bit mundane. But it's still the real thing. It's still precious, still special. Still keeps us together all these years. Okay. There's a question I want to ask. Oh, it's there. Good. <laughs> we talk about this later on. If it's so important, this quality, there must be a test. And I want to talk about that in the second session. What is the test? I'm going to, we're going to break now. Um, I've got four minutes left. It's pretty good, eh? Yeah? <laughs> we're going to break and we're going to go to some discussion groups because what I want here... Something that's very important about a, a weekend like this is that it's a fellowship weekend. It's about God's people being together, sharing our experience, helping each other. And I want you to go away and talk about how you experience this relationship. How do you make it strong? What do you do when something goes wrong with it and you seem far apart from God? Because we're all different personalities. We all relate to the Lord Jesus Christ in different ways. And I want you to talk about that. I want you to tell each other. Because that's how we strengthen each other and that's how we grow. Can we just pray together? Will you bow your heads, please? Lord Jesus Christ, you transform everything. When we're sure of your presence you make us into better people you fill us with confidence and you fill up our faith with a kind of joy which is not matched by any other experience in this world will you please bless our discussion groups and help us to strengthen each other and for anyone who has difficulty 
Will you help us to find you and the certainty of your presence? Please hear our prayers. Amen. Thank you. I'll see you later.